Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support the show, then please consider signing up for our membership program. You can do that by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and clicking on the PayPal subscription button. This will grant you access to our premium feed, which is currently in the midst of a series on Aztec history. Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 76, Utica. It has taken us 76 episodes, but we are here now. Scipio is finally in Africa. We covered his initial movements in the last episode, and saw him joined by Massinissa and his Numidian cavalry, while the Carthaginians panicked and tried to secure their alliance with Syphax, but today, things really begin. Scipio had remained very close to his fleet for a few days, but then moved so that he was encamped a mile away from Utica. Utica was one of the primary Carthaginian cities in North Africa. Located to the north of Carthage, near to the outflow of the Majorda River into the Mediterranean. It was an old settlement. I've previously mentioned that Carthage was Punic for New Town, giving New Carthage, in Spain, the rather amusing name of New New Town. Utica is Punic for Old Town. It has a traditional foundation date of 1100 BC, which is almost certainly false. Sometime in the 8th century is far more believable. It had initially existed as an ally of Carthage, but came under Carthaginian control and would play an important part in the mercenary war in the Interbellum. You can go back to episode 14 if you want a refresher of that. While Scipio set himself up there, Hasdrubal was recalled to Carthage from his diplomatic mission to Syphax. He increased the size of the Carthaginian cavalry, since it was important to him that he was able to check on Roman raiding inside the Carthaginian farmland, and if he was to ever take the initiative. The speed of the cavalry would be a huge advantage when trying to do this. He wasn't going to catch Scipio off guard with the sluggish infantry. He was able to enlist mostly Numidians, and raised his fighting force to something around 4,000 strong. He then used this to brashly snatch the town of Salaika, situated about 15 miles away from Scipio. Scipio was not to be outdone. He sent Massinissa to the gates of Salaika with a detachment of cavalry. He ran up to the gates of the town and then withdrew sharply, as though overcome by the fear of his own tenacity. Once he did this enough times, The Carthaginian force, although it was ill-prepared, some of its soldiers had to be woken up from a drunken stupor, charged out to meet them. Massinissa was of course, quote-unquote, overwhelmed by enemy numbers, and ran away over some nearby hills. I think you can see where this is going. The Carthaginians chased the Romans over the hill, and waiting on the other side was the rest of the Roman cavalry. This was followed by a massacre. The Romans chased the Carthaginians for the better part of 30 miles, capturing 2,000 cavalry. 
This included their commander, Hanno, and 200 other Carthaginian horsemen, some of whom were from the noble families of Carthage. The Roman ships also arrived that day with fresh supplies, so it was a very good day for the Romans. It's insightful on the part of Hasdrubal. He is usually ever such a defensive commander, and yet, at least according to Livy, he was trying to raise the cavalry force so that he would be able to take the initiative. This is remarkably unlike him. Hasdrubal doesn't come across great in this whole saga, but this understanding is probably a sign of how he rose to become a Carthaginian general in the first place. Taking the initiative would be crucial to thwarting Scipio's game plan. But Scipio was able to destroy this potential threat to his plans before it manifested. Now, with that out of the way, he could begin his plans proper. He began by ravaging the countryside, and taking numerous settlements across the region. This he did for seven days, spreading fear and terror throughout the region. Then he returned to Utica and began to get work on the siege of the city. His intention was to capture it, and then use it as a base for the remainder of the campaign. As Scipio gathered his forces around the city, things were not looking good for Utica. Livy writes in Book 29, Chapter 35, quote, The people of Utica, closely beset as they now were by these powerful forces, pinned all their hopes on Carthage, while Carthage, in its turn, looked solely to Hasdrubal, provided he could prevail upon Syphax to move. You see, Hasdrubal had been able to gather a force of 30,000 infantry and 3,000 cavalry, but he was unwilling to risk battle with this force. As I say, Hasdrubal is the textbook example of a defence-minded general. He would not gamble to try and transform this stalemate into a victory unless he was certain he would be able to win. The issue with the plan was that while Hasdrubal hid in Carthage, Scipio was given free reign of the country. Finally, Syphax arrived with reinforcements, 50,000 infantry and 10,000 cavalry. This was an army Hasdrubal could work with. The two left Carthage with their combined force, heading for Utica. It was a dangerous strategy. The strategy of a defensive approach can be a gamble in of itself. If your opponent on the offence is able to take advantage of the lack of threat caused by a defensive setup, the whole thing will have been a disaster. This delay gave Scipio 40 uninterrupted days to focus upon cracking the nut that was the defences of Usica. Despite his best efforts, he was unable to break through. When word came that Hasdrubal and Syphax were on the move, Scipio recognised that this particular fight he had not won, and so he made his withdrawal. 204 was coming to a close, and Scipio needed to prepare a winter camp. He found a perfect site, a promontory jutting out into the sea, connected to the mainland by only a narrow causeway. It could also be used to protect the naval camp. This brought events in Africa to a close. Meanwhile, back in Italy, for the first time in quite a while, there was a military engagement for Hannibal. 
a minor skirmish was fought between the Romans and Carthaginians, which the Carthaginians got the better of. This gave Hannibal some much-needed confidence. As for the Romans, the consul who lost the fight, Sempronius, was reinforced by the proconsul, Licinius, doubling the Roman strength and increasing Roman morale. The two sides were both ready for a fight, and neither had a reason for delay, and a real battle was fought. It was decisive. The Romans demolished the Carthaginians, killing over 4,000 and forcing Hannibal to withdraw to the city of Croton. Things were going even less well for the Carthaginians in the northern theatre. Margot was busy winning over the Etruscans to his side, who were more than willing to throw off the Roman yoke. The consul Cornelius spent his summer trying desperately to stop the region falling away. It was then time for the elections. Since Cornelius was waging more of a political than military war, he was withdrawn from the theatre in order to conduct the elections. Gnaeus Servilius Caepio and Gaius Servilius Geminus were elected. The praetors were to be Publius Cornelius Lentulus, Publius Quintilius Varus, Publius Aelius Paetus, and Publius Vilius Tapulus. That done, Cornelius returned to Etruria. This brings us into 203, the 16th year of the war. It also brings us into Livy Book 30, which is an important moment. Livy has formed the basis of this narrative. The full work, the Ad Urbe Condita Libri, comprises 142 books, and only a quarter of the full work survives. Because of this, modern editions tend to break it up into smaller surviving chunks. Books 21 to 30 cover the Second Punic War, and so this forms one of those chunks. For example, the Penguin translation sells it as the War with Hannibal. But we're now into Book 30, the last book, yet another sign of how near the end we are getting. Anyway, in 203, the provinces were divided. Caepio was given the command of Sempronius' army in Brutium, while Sempronius would take over from Licinius, who would return to Rome. A very similar thing happened in the north. Gemnus was given command in Etruria, Marcus Cornelius had previously held that command, and he took over from Scribonius in Gaul. This seems like an oddly complicated way of distributing commands, but then again, oddly complicated could describe a lot of what the Romans do. Preparations were taken to guard their coasts from the threat of Carthaginian raiding, and so 3,000 fresh troops were raised for Sicily, 2,000 were sent to Sardinia, and 3,000 were to man a new fleet to help patrol the coasts. Though all at the time were aware that this was a sideshow. The consuls and praetors headed off to their various positions around Italy and the Mediterranean islands, but they knew that the war would be decided in Africa. Clothing, grain, and weaponry were all sent to Scipio and Utica from Sicily, Sardinia, and Spain. Scipio himself had spent the winter occupied with a multitude of issues. He was trying to besiege Utica, 
while at the same time watching the Carthaginian army under Hasdrubal, the Carthaginian fleet, and trying to arrange a deal with Syfax. This was rather useful, actually. He regularly sent envoys to talk to Syfax, and when they travelled, they learnt about the Carthaginian camp, such as the fact that it had been constructed from whatever material they could find. The Carthaginians had used wood, while the Numidians had used thatch. This gave Scipio the idea that perhaps he could set the camps alight. He sent several of his most trusted centurions to the camp disguised as servants for the envoys. While the talks with Syfax took place, they were free to wander and learn the layout of the camp and how its defences were organised. Syfax and the Carthaginians became convinced that these talks would lead to peace. The essence of the proposed deal would be going back to square one. The Romans would withdraw from Africa, and the Carthaginians would withdraw from Italy. A draw. Then we have a rather interesting development from the historian's point of view. Livy and Polybius both give different versions of what happened next. Livy says that the Roman envoys told Syfax they had been negotiating long enough, and it was time for a deal to be made. They wanted terms. This gave the Romans a great opportunity to explore the camp and for Scipio to prepare for action. Since Scipio seemed so eager for peace, the Carthaginians made very demanding terms. Scipio then used these terms as a casus belli for launching his attack since they were unreasonable, and therefore he was in the clear for ending the temporary ceasefire. Polybius does not mention these demands. What does this mean? Well, Livy likes to use Polybius as the basis for his account, but since Polybius doesn't mention these demands, they must come from an alternative Roman tradition. The Romans were a very legalistic people. They did not like to launch wars unless they had a legal justification for doing so and so I find it very interesting that there exists an alternative historiographical tradition in order to justify why Scipio broke this ceasefire. I am unconvinced that these demands took place. If they did, I would expect to find it in Polybius. But regardless of whether the Carthaginians made excessive demands of the Romans, in the spring of 203, Scipio did break the ceasefire. His plan was to distract the Carthaginians by focusing his efforts on Utica. He moved his fleet and his siege engines, and moved 2,000 troops to the hill overlooking Utica, as he had done the previous year. Once the Carthaginians had seen what was going on, Scipio made his move. He waited until dusk and then set out just before sunset, so that by midnight, he had covered the seven miles to the enemy camp. He then broke his force into two. One group would be led by himself, the other by Lilius, which would also include Massinissa. Lilius and Massinissa were to attack Syfax, and Scipio would attack Hasdrubal, but not until the Numidian camp was already ablaze. He stressed to Lilius and Massinissa the importance of attention to detail. This was a night attack, and so things could go very wrong very quickly. He needn't have worried. 
The new Midian camp was set on fire with no issues, and the flames spread rapidly. Masinissa had great knowledge of Numidian thought, and so he placed his troops in the perfect spots by the exits. Syphax's men thought the camp had just set on fire naturally, and so they fled, unarmed, right into the waiting Romans. When the Carthaginians heard the commotion, they too thought it was a natural fire, and gathered what they could, and ran out unarmed, straight into Scipio's legions. He too then marched into the Carthaginian camp, set it on fire, and the massacre really began. It was a decisive Roman victory. Both Hasdrubal and Syphax escaped with 2,000 infantry, 500 cavalry, and half their equipment, but everything else was lost. 40,000 were either killed or burned, 5,000 were captured, including 11 Carthaginian senators, Six elephants were taken alive, as were 2,700 Numidian horses. If the Africans were concerned about Scipio before, now they were terrified. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember you can find more online. There is the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, I'm on Twitter, at HistoryJamie, and you can send me an email if you want, the history of podcast at gmail.com. Join me next time when we cover the penultimate great battle of the war, Great Plains. After that, all we have left is Zama. Thanks for listening. <laughs>